Good morning. You know, one of the things we do uh, with our finances here at Saltbox is give 10% of everything we get. Isn't that cool? Right to missions, either locally or um, church planning abroad um, or here in the U.S. So I'm Michael Mattis. We are in the midst of our Cephas series. Uh, Cephas is Aramaic for Peter. We've taken a look at Peter. Um, and we started uh, with the calling of Peter. He was Simon back then. And then we took a look at... Let's see, the uh, sifting of Simon Peter. And then we took a look at the reinstatement of Simon Peter last week. We did not get that recorded, so that is not going to, we had a little malfunction. Um, and then this week we are actually talking and looking at Acts 2, which is really the release of Simon Peter to become the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. Sound good? So we are in Acts 2. That's where I'm kind of heading. This is a massive chunk of scripture. So what I'm going to do... Um, is I'm going to read a piece of it, and then we're just going to sort of walk through and talk about a piece of it. that work? Now, uh, Pentecost Sunday is an extraordinary Sunday for us as Christians. Very, very crucial, very important Sunday. Um, in fact, the last song we sang, I didn't know that Perry and Josh were going to lead on that, but very timely, very pertinent. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Now, Pentecost Sunday is the Sunday that we celebrate when the Holy Spirit was released upon the New Testament church. So we're about 120 believers, and we're going to get into this in just a second, gathered in an upper room, probably at John Mark's house. His mom's name was Mary, and there was a New Testament church that actually met in that house later on. But they were gathered in this upper room, and the Holy Spirit was released upon them. And this day, this particular Sunday, is when we as a church, as a Christian church, celebrate the release of the Holy Spirit. Make sense? So... Uh, I think the other thing that is um, sort of imperative here is there's a gap from, uh, if you think back to John 20, if you're taking notes, there's a gap in John 20 where Jesus breathes on his disciples and he says, be filled to when the Holy Spirit is actually released at Pentecost. So we're going to look at a couple of these little things in the text. We're in Acts 2. We're going 1 through 41. And we're going to take a look at, at two things. The release of Peter as the first pastor to the first church. Not the first pope, I would say, but the first pastor to the first church. <clears throat> and then we're going to take a look at what does it mean as the Holy Spirit is really released upon us as a body of believers. Okay? Um, I'm going to actually do something different. Before I read today, I'm going to pray. I usually like to pray after I read. But we're going to be, this is such a big chunk, and we're going to be like reading and then talking and reading some more and going back and forth. So I'm going to pray first. Sound good? All right, Holy Spirit, first thing we want to do this morning is come before you and say we praise you for this day, we praise you for life. Father, we've come in here with a myriad of troubles, of difficulties, of disappointments. There's people in the room that are suffering and going through a number of different things, loss. And Father, I pray that as we gather here in front of you, that you would somehow let the troubles and the anxieties and the difficulties and the pain that we're in uh, grow dim and you would allow us as people to each dig into your word. And Holy Spirit, maybe as important as us digging into your word, would you then dig into our heart? Father, would you change us and would you form us? And would you transform us into the likeness of you, Christ Jesus? In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> a uh, pastor from a local church here, I meet with eight, eight or nine pastors every month. And he's a denominational pastor, so we're a non-denominational church, no big deal. Um, but they're a denominational church. And he called me and he said, I'm preaching on Pentecost Sunday and I'm a little concerned. 
I said, cool. How can I help? And he said, well, I did a poll of my congregation, and everybody asked stuff about the Holy Spirit. I said, awesome. He said, can I tell you what they asked? I said, yeah, fire away. Let's talk. And so he and I proceeded to talk for about an hour or an hour and a half on the phone. Then he came over and hung out with us, and I gave him a handful of books, and he went back, and he's preaching a sermon today, sort of on this, some of this interaction we've had. But he asked, he said, I, Michael, I have all these older saints. It's a new church plant, but it's a denominational church. I have all these older saints, but they all asked uh, many, many on these little uh, secret cards. He put cards in the seats one Sunday, and they all filled out these questions. And the questions were, how do I know if I've been filled with the Spirit? That was one of the questions. Great question. Great question. One of the questions was, um, how do I know that I'm walking in the Spirit? So, so not as much the initial filling of the Spirit. Now it's, how do I know on a day-by-day -day basis, am I actually walking in the power of the Spirit? Another great question. Um, and then there was, a, there was a handful more, but I am going to incorporate those two questions in today because I think they're highly pertinent to us as believers. And you know what? You cannot do the Christian life apart from the infilling of the, of the Holy Spirit. Can I say that? A lot of people make the Christian life really hard. In other words, if you talk to someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, they might say, it's, there's a lot of rules. That's really hard. And I'm going, no, 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 no. Let me help you understand. It's like impossible. Until you come to the cross and lay down your life, and then the life of Jesus begins to be lived in you and through you. And we are going to look at that today. Realize I'm raising a question there for you. But we're going to answer that as this goes on. All right, let's dig in. Acts 2, I'm going to start reading. I'm going to read the first five verses, um, and then we're going to talk about it sort of as we unfold it from there. <clears throat> Acts 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, if you go back a, a little bit further, they're literally in an upper room of a house. It would have been a, a kind of a, um, a closed uh, little upper room. This would have been the most important room of the house. Because, you know, people walking by on the streets couldn't have looked in. Probably like the living room. It would have been a gathering room. It would have been where they had prayer. So they're in the upper room of a house. Probably Mary's house. John Mark's mom. Now remember, if, and maybe you weren't here, but you could actually go back and listen to our Garden of Gethsemane sermon. And we talk a lot about John Mark in there. But John Mark would have penned the Gospel of Mark on behalf of Peter, the Apostle Peter, who we're actually talking about. All right, little background. So the day of Pentecost came, and they were all together in one place, that upper room, and suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they're sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem and God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, excuse me, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked each other, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Pentecost in the um, Jewish tradition, in the Hebrew tradition of the day, would have been the Festival of Weeks. And the Festival of Weeks is important because it was separated 50 days after Passover. Okay? 
I'm digging in a little bit here, so you're going to have to go with me a second. There's this, this festival of weeks, and at the festival of weeks, Jewish people from all over the nation of Israel are going to come together, and they're going to separate, or excuse me, celebrate this festival. It happened exactly 50 days from when the Passover happened when they exited the, the, uh, Egypt. Okay? Hang with me a second. So, Old Testament, back in Exodus, you can look back and do a study if you want. Um, but when, when Moses led the people out of Egypt, it was called the Passover. Remember, they killed the lambs, they took the blood, and they actually put the blood on the doorposts. And then the angel of death, when the angel of death came, passed over. That's why it became Passover. So they celebrated Passover, and then 50 days later, they celebrate this festival of weeks. And the festival of weeks was important because it marked the time when Moses went up to the top of a mountain called Mount Sinai, which is in modern-day Egypt, almost on the border of Saudi Arabia. And he went up to the top of this mountain, and he actually got the Ten Commandments on stone tablets written by the finger of God, Exodus 22, 23, 20, 21, and 22, 23, if you want to read it. And he carried the stone tablets down. So the nation of Israel has all come together. They have come together in Jerusalem, and they are celebrating the release of the Mosaic Law, the release of these Ten Commandments, as, as Moses would have come down from, the, from Mount Sinai. That make sense? You follow me? Okay. So here we are, and we've got this group of New Testament believers, men and women, about 120 of them, and they are hanging out in this upper room. And they have been instructed by Christ Jesus himself, wait until you receive power from on high. And he's already breathed on them and said, be filled with the Spirit. But now he said, said wait until you receive power. So they're waiting. And on this 50th day, this is so... This is so, like, um, I want you to, like, almost take this, this 50th day. So Moses coming down from the mountain, remember, Ten Commandments, and I want you to just set it right here for a minute, okay? We are coming back to it at the end. Do not forget. This is, like, the, it's probably the crux of what we're even looking at today. But we're going to come back to it at the end. So in the New Testament, most of us know, and I'm just sort of reminding us, if you're new to the, the gospel, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to Jesus, praise the Lord. We're glad you're here. Jump on in with us. <clears throat> um, but Jesus literally becomes um, the Lamb of God. So, so here in the New Testament, once Christ Jesus is crucified on the cross, remember we just did a series on that, then we take that blood by faith and we really apply it to our hearts and say, Lord Jesus, would you come and live in my heart? And for me, when I read the, the Gospels, it's really important because it's actually, um, it's more than just a prayer. It's like this surrendered life. You're actually saying, Lord, come and uh, live in me. You're laying your life down. My life is not mine any longer. It's now yours. And you're laying your life down. And Jesus, King Jesus, becomes symbolically the lamb of the Old Testament. Not even symbolically, literally. He is crucified like one of those lambs were killed. And then we take and apply his blood. And that's why we don't sacrifice animals anymore. Can we all say praise Jesus? That'd be a messy church service. But we don't do that because Christ Jesus became the sacrifice once and for all. He became the very Lamb of God. And his death and then the appropriation of his blood into our lives is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. So, this is also the day, I'm getting my arms around this huge thing today, so you're just going to have to go with me. This is also the day where Peter becomes um, really who Peter is. We've been looking at Peter. He was this like teenager kind of janky fisherman guy just hanging out, didn't know what to do. He's a loud mouth, 
Some of you identify with that, like me. Sticks his foot in his mouth. He consistently says the wrong thing at the wrong time. But he's always the first one to stick his neck out and go, I'll follow Jesus, I'll follow Jesus, I'll follow Jesus. And I love that the Lord takes probably the most hard-headed, difficult, challenging of the disciples and makes him the first pastor of the first church. Some of you need to say amen to that. There's hope for me. Yes, there is. If there's hope for Peter, there's hope for you. And that's why we're even talking about this. The whole goal of this is not to go, Peter's this amazing guy. No, 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 no. Peter's a wreck. Isn't that good? Me too, Tim. Me too. And that means there's hope for every single one of us. That's why we're looking at this guy's life. So this is the day that Peter actually becomes who he is. Now, if you look at uh, Simon Peter, um, Simon, which was his initial given name by his parents, it means reed, like a little, you know, little reed that you'd go to the river or, you know, down by the, the ocean, the sea oats, kind of like that, and you could pull it and just break it. It means reed. But his new name means rock. His new name means stone. And there's this beautiful interaction, we're not going to go to it, but it happened in Caesarea Philippi in Israel. And, G- and, and Peter actually makes this bold declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, upon that rock I will build my church. Meaning two things. Number one, the Christian church of today is built upon the rock of the revelation that Christ Jesus is not just the Jewish Messiah, but he is the Savior of the world. He is God incarnate. And it's on that revelation that church is built. Secondly, I think the Lord Jesus in that moment, when he's saying, on this rock I'm going to build my church, is he was sort of foretelling, you young knucklehead, you young Padawan are going to become the first pastor of the first church. And it wasn't but a few passages later, he looked at Simon Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, and he gives him a firm rebuke. But how many of you know that when God wants to use you, he's going to rebuke you? Because he disciplines those he loves. And some of you might be sitting there going, Michael, I'm being sifted, and I'm being disciplined, and it all, all, seems like all hell's breaking loose in my life. Wonderful. The presence and power of the Lord may be active in your life, more in the difficult times than in the easy times because he's preparing you for something of great purpose. So this is probably the day when the New Testament church is born. This is the day when the Old Testament is fulfilled, and the New Testament is really activated. I also think it's fascinating because the first half of the book of Acts is really central to Peter. Did you know that? Like Peter's kind of at the center of it, the first half of the entire book. And, and it's, the, it's, it's how um, this man, this group of men and women actually lead the, the New Testament church in Jerusalem. So it's Israel and, and people of Jewish descent who are coming to Christ Jesus and this growing, blossoming church. Now the second half of the book of Acts is about Paul, and we'll deal with him another day. But it's just really fascinating. So this transition from Peter being a reed to Peter being a rock has now taken years. You know, we're some three and a half years into the journey. And I think I would also, if I just called you to something right here, it it would be people who believe that the Holy Spirit is activated in our lives. We we often get up, and it's it's this big fallacy almost, I think. But you open your Bible, or you press play on a worship thing, or you watch somebody preach, or whatever, and you think it's going to be this, wow, shazam, bang, woo! You know, you think it's going to be this big thing. But I would actually say to you, 
that the presence and power of God is at work maybe the most in the ordinary and in the mundane and in the getting up and opening your word. That's why I've called us to be in the one-year Bible. I mean, I have just get in the word. Open it up so that the word can get in you. That's what transforms a life. So there's going to be times where you go, God, are you even here? And you just keep being faithful and you keep showing up and you keep doing the next thing that he's put in front of you. And you can often look back and go, wow, he was with me. But for some reason, it's real hard to look in the present and go, oh, God's here. I don't ever feel like that. Maybe you're different than me. But a lot of times I'm like, Lord, I think I'm doing the right thing. And it's not until you, you get past it a little bit and go, oh, look, that really was you. That's okay, church. Because the Holy Spirit works in the mundane, in the day-by-day, in the difficulties. He's there. And the transformations take time. I challenge you to commit to a one-year Bible. They're out there. Your tithes pay for them. If you don't have one, grab it. Get in it. Maybe get a five-year journal. Set a little bit of time. I like the first thing in the morning. You might like late at night or in the middle of the day when you can step out of work or something else for a few minutes. But find a time and get in it. And you're not going to see transformation this week or this month or this year. But over the years, the Holy Spirit of God in you will be transforming and changing and shifting. And all of a sudden, somebody around you is going to go, wow, you're different. I promise you, that is the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives in the ordinary. He did it in Peter's life, and he'll do it in yours. So there's 11 disciples gathered in this upper room. There's 120 people. And on this particular day, when the Spirit of God comes, we're going to see in a few minutes, that some 3,000 people give their hearts and lives to Christ Jesus, and the church the sort of the progressive church, the progressive move of the Spirit is actually born. It wasn't but 300 years later. This is so important. 11, 120 gather in the upper room. We're going to see 3,000 people come to Christ on that day, so you're 3,100 maybe, 3,200 people. 300 years later, the entire Roman Empire is pronounced Christian. Now, that's often the enemy for churches, can I say? Because once it gets, you know, when you're persecuted, you grow. I don't know why. When it's like the national religion, it sinks. But, but, but that's not the point. The point is, 300 years later, this was such a wildfire that could not be contained that in 300 short years, this thing emanated from Jerusalem all the way through Europe, through Asia, and suddenly we have the spontaneous expansion of the gospel because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is activated in not just these people's, but other people's lives. You are meant to carry the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your marriage, in your parenting, in your job, when you talk to somebody, when you interact with anyone you interact with. You are meant to be a companion and participant with him in sharing the light and the love and the hope of Jesus. And when you look into somebody's eyes, how rare is hope? How rare is hope? How rare is joy? When you meet somebody who's got joy, do you not walk away and go, wow, it's like a little breath of fresh air. You meet somebody who's got hope. You look in their eyes and their their hope, even if they're in the middle of terrible duress, carry Jesus like that, church. Okay, so we're we're here we are. We've got these uh, people speaking in other tongues. 
Um, I want to speak to that just a minute. We've got a great sermon that Clive did for us a number of weeks ago. It's on our iTunes thing on actually tongues and prophecy and decently in order. If you want to go back and listen, please do. I'm not going to take a ton of time on that. But I do want to say one thing here. The church has gotten this thing so wonky. I mean, just wonky. And if you actually go to the Greek, tongues is better translated as languages. Okay? So I would actually say this whole gift... In, in the translation of the Bible, would be better called languages. And, and just think with me for a second. Um, I've done a little bit of world traveling, and when I fly to a, a, a country in Africa or a country in um, Eastern Europe or um, South America, when I get off the plane, I find a group of people who usually speak what? Different than me. I find a group of people who speak in a language that I don't usually get. Now, English, maybe some people speak English, and I can interact with them, sort of. But what I have found in almost every country I've gone to is I get off and I begin to interact with the indigenous peoples, and I find that I don't understand them and they don't understand me. Right? Every country I've been to, I've discovered this. Isn't that amazing? Aren't you wowed by that? Why would we expect that God in heaven, get your head around heaven a second, get your head around eternity, get your head around infinity. Why would we expect that God in heaven speaks English? Why would we even expect that the God in heaven speaks Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek or Chinese? And the church has made this big hoopla thing about tongues, and it's become this big divisive thing. And I would say simply, it's the language of heaven, and you don't get it, and I don't get it. And it's like flying in a plane to a different country, and you get off, and you're like, wow, I don't understand what they're saying. I guarantee there's language in heaven that you don't understand and that I don't understand. That doesn't mean it's weird. That doesn't mean it's wonky. That just means you don't get it. And I don't get it. And when I sit in other countries and I've listened to them speak in a different language, I'm, all, I'm like, man, it almost sounds like gibberish. Have you ever thought that? Heavenly language, people. This is not a, ooh. No, it's just, it's a gift of languages. And when the Holy Spirit's present, occasionally it happens. Not every time. Six times the Spirit is present in the book of Acts. Three times you see the gift of languages. Three times you don't. Anybody who tells you you must speak in this, to be filled with the Spirit is not telling you the truth. That's doctrinal inaccuracy. Done. Okay, so here we are. So they spill out. So literally, tongues of fire then shows up on the heads of these disciples. They're sitting in this upper room, and it like it overflows and spills out from this upper room onto the streets. And they get out onto the streets, and what we have is all these people looking around going, oh my goodness, they're speaking in these other languages. And it happened, so happened on this day that they're speaking in languages that other people understand. Some, however, made fun of them, verse 13 and said they had too much wine. I need to make a quick statement on this, because it's important. The church also gets wine all wonky. Can I just say that? I didn't mean to be all into what the church gets wonky, but the church gets this wonky. If you look at the book of Proverbs, uh, wine is mentioned in a positive light three times. It's mentioned in a negative light three times. And I would say that's about 
the biblical look at wine. But God gave it to make the hearts of men glad. Now, <clears throat> you've got to be careful because wine, all drink, is powerful. You must be careful. But I want you to think a second. There's a scripture that says in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine. Let's do that again. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What are we talking about today? This is the day of Pentecost and being filled with the Okay, so fascinating that once this move erupts onto the street, the onlookers are like, wow, y'all are drunk with wine. Wine in a party. Go to a secular party. What's the first thing people do when they get there? Go get me a drink. Right? Everybody's holding a drink. Why? Because it loosens you up. The Spirit of God loosens you up. Wine helps you talk to the neighbor next to you but that you're too scared to talk to if you're at a party. What's the Spirit of God do? Helps you reach across and begin to touch and talk to people. Now, I'm not saying wine's bad. I'm not saying it's good. It can be both. But what I am saying is it's a counterfeit for the real deal. It is a, the real deal is the Spirit of God. I was riding on a uh, ski lift um, at Alta, I think it was Alta, Utah. I had my snowboard on, this was years ago, and I had a guy next to me, and we were going up to the top to a double black bowl. And I'll never forget, because I said, um, how you doing, man? He said, good! <laughs> it's like, wow, you're pretty amped, huh? He's like, yeah! I'm like, what? what's up? I've never been to a double black bowl! I'm like, man, you're in for it. That first drop's a Lulu. Don't worry, man. I've just been to the bar, and I'm toked up on liquid courage, and I am ready to go. The Spirit of God gives you courage. Wine, in any form, can be a counterfeit for the true infilling of the Spirit, which brings joy. There's a proverb that says, wine was given to make the hearts of men and women glad. There's nothing wrong with it. But I am saying be wary because there's a real spirit, the Holy Spirit, a person that wants to fill you and flow through you. And he not just wants to fill you once, but he wants to keep filling you. And he wants to bring joy. And he wants to bring peace. And he wants to give you courage. Liquid courage. He wants to give you courage to reach out and do things you've never done, to reach over and talk to people you've never talked to, to get on people's levels, to do things that you went, I would never do that. When I first met Abby, she'd see me up preaching like this in front of a you know, big crowd of people, and so she assumed I was like gregarious and outgoing and extroverted. And the first time we got in a party together, it was a, some social gathering, I can't remember, but I'm sitting over in the corner. After the party, she's like, what were you doing? Like, what happened to you? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I, I can work a room if I need to, but I, if I don't need to, I'm just like hanging out with somebody in the corner. I'm not the life of the party. I'm not the funny guy. You know, I'm just not. I'm just kind of sitting in the corner hanging out with somebody. But the Holy Spirit can take every one of us, introvert, extrovert, no matter who you are, and fill you and empower you in such a way that you are different, conform you into the likeness and image of Christ, and then send you out to be a part of changing your community and your neighborhood with the power of the gospel of Christ Jesus. <clears throat> My first point, I think we have up here. This is the Holy Spirit. And I would say this 
I said it to my friend, my pastor friend on the phone the other day. I said, I've been filled, I'm being filled, and I will be filled. It appears from Scripture, I am unwilling to say with doctrinal certainty that the filling of the Holy Spirit has to be a second word, because there's times where I'm not sure that you can say that. But it appears from Scripture, because John 20, Jesus breathed on them. Now, this is Jesus post-resurrection. Like, heavenly body, he is like, he's God incarnate, he was before, but now he's been to the grave, and he is like, and he's breathed on them and says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and there's still a lag time before the Holy Spirit is truly released on them. So I would actually say to you that the filling of the Holy Spirit tends to be a second work after you surrender your life to Christ Jesus. Not always. Not always. But I would also say we're filled, but we're filled again, and we're filled again. And my alarm clock goes off early in the morning. If you're not a morning person, that's fine. Don't put under any condemnation. But I get up, and some of the first things I'm doing is, Lord Jesus, my heart's yours. My mind is yours, because it's prone to worry. It's prone to drift all over the place. My body's yours. My family's yours. Would you interact with me in your word? Would you speak to me? Would you transform me? And I'm asking him to fill me. There's not a day that goes by that I don't say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Because I don't like Michael apart from Jesus very much. Maybe you like you apart from Jesus. If you're still there in life, that's okay. Live a little longer and you'll come to the point where you're you're done with you. <laughs> Trust me. If you're not, have fun. Keep enjoying it. He'll bring you to the end. I've been filled, I'm being filled, and I will be filled. There's internal signs that you've been filled. I actually took my pastor friend through this. We looked at Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. How do I know if I'm actively filled? Like today. At lunch. How do I know? Am I filled with the Spirit in this moment? Now, let me clarify here. I'm not talking about saved. Okay? When you've surrendered your heart to Jesus, it's done. Your name is written in that Lamb's Book of Life, talked about in Revelation. I'm not talking about being saved. But I'm talking about are you filled? Are you actively walking in the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is, can anybody name this? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. It's a good litmus test. You're sitting at lunch. After you've yelled at your kids. I mean, going to lunch from church is terrible with the kids. I mean, it's always bonkers, right? And you're driving and you get to lunch and it's like, am I filled with the Spirit? And it's like, oh, Lord Jesus. And I just say to you, life's a mess and it's okay. Can I just say that? And that's a good opportunity to go, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you fill me? It's also a really good opportunity to look over at your kids and go, guys, dad is not perfect. Would you forgive me for being impatient? And what that begins to do in those little hearts and minds is it actually begins to teach them how to walk with Jesus day by day, moment by moment, that you don't have to be perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about being authentic. It's about acknowledging when we fail. It's about acknowledging when we lose it. It's asking him to fill us again. It's asking him to work in us and through us again. I love Colossians 3.15. I use this with my pastor friend, but Colossians 3.15, or it might be 17, but in the Amplified Bible, it says, let the peace of Christ act as umpire continually. What's an umpire do? Calls it in or, I think it's actually super out. Anyway, in or out, right? I'm not a baseball player. <laughs> Perry's laughing at me. 
But an umpire calls you in or out, right? The peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ. Now, if we're honest and we get down in our own hearts, can you tell when you're at peace and when you're not? Can you tell when your life is full of the peace of Christ and when it's not? I would suggest that's an opportunity to go, oh, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you fill me with your peace? Now, I'm not, there's mental health issues, and there, I'm, not, I'm not into all that. You may, I'm not against even taking some things to help with mental health issues. Just hear that. That's a separate category. But as a whole, when we're going through life and you lack the peace of Christ, I think that's a good moment to go. The Holy Spirit's probably going, you're out. Let's be filled again. Let's ask him to fill us again. Now, the other thing that I went through with my pastor friend and made him uncomfortable, but there are external signs. There are actually uh, miraculous signs. And I, can't, I have studied the scripture because there's, there's the charismatic movement and the Pentecostal movement, and they've made a mess of things, in my opinion, in some cases. And then you've got the word people, and that, they've made a mess. I'm like, Lord, I can't find one scripture anywhere in the Bible that would indicate to me that the work of the Holy Spirit has ceased to exist in our day and age. I don't think that gives us license as church people to go do and be weird. Can I say that? But I think it does give us license to go, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you work in us and through us? And there must be a place where external signs, miracles, the supernatural does happen. If there's someone in our midst who has cancer, are we going to pray that that cancer would be healed? I'm going to. I'm going to. Now, you know what I'll probably ask us to do first? Maybe we hold hands or maybe we stand around or I don't know, maybe we're sitting or maybe we're standing, but I'm probably going to look around and go, you know what? If y'all are like me, you've probably got doubt in your heart that God can heal this person. Can we first start by praying and confessing our doubt? And you know what? That's real talk. I dislike it when people come in with a lot of bravado and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Real talk is, Lord, I read this in Scripture. I see that it happens. I've even seen you work supernaturally in my life. But, but God, I doubt in this moment. I doubt. Would you forgive me? And then as a little group, we'd pray together. And for me, that's real talk. That's being authentic with where we are. The other thing I went over with my friend in terms of being filled consistently is I told him a little story about my kids and I, because I, I think it's interesting. But the kids, uh, on the way to school every morning, we've got a little rhythm that we do, and we read the, they can choose, either the one-year Bible, um, there's a Jesus Calling for Kids, which they're getting a little old for, um, there's a Streams in the Desert, so we've got a couple little things in the, in the back seats of the car, and they take turns reading. So we'll read a little passage, and then the other one will read the scripture, usually on my phone or, you know, one of their phones, and, and uh, then um, we go around the car and we pray. Now, once that's done, they, uh, they get in a fight over who DJs. Who gets to choose that music? You know what I'm saying? And, and I am, um, I've been careful with this, but I'm not a, it's got to only be Christian music. But they both make fun of me because they're like, Dad always listens to just Christian music, always worship music. And I began to talk to him about it. And this one day we were listening to Ed Sheeran. So my daughter wants some Ed Sheeran on there. And he's got some racy songs. He's got some racy songs. And we're jamming out to Ed Sheeran, and I stopped it, and I said, hold on. Do y'all know what we're singing? 
Like, can we talk about this a minute before I press play again? They're like, Dad! <laughs> and I proceeded to talk about what he was saying. Because I'm like, it's, I'm unwilling to let us just jam the music and fill ourselves with this without talking about what he's saying. And all of a sudden, I've got two embarrassed kids in the car, and, I, and I'm like, well, y'all are singing it next to me, and now I'm just turned it off and we're talking about it, but can we just be real about this a minute? And I've actually unpacked with them, and I'll do more. They're not in the room this morning, and I'll do more in the weeks ahead. But one of the ways that I am filled, like, okay, I've been filled with the Spirit. I'm being filled. One of the ways that I'm being filled with the Spirit is I am really uh, rigorous with how much Instagram I let in my life, how much Facebook I let in my life, and what kind of music I let in my life. And my teenager goes, Dad, you're always worshiping Jesus. Well, let me tell you how this works. You go singing Ed Sharon and, you know, his songs about, you know, rolling around in the sheets and whatever. I can't remember his songs. And all of a sudden, you're walking around wherever you are, the gym or the whatever, and you're looking around, and where's your head? What are you filled with? I put my worship music on, and I'm praising Jesus, and I'm walking around, and I'm filled with something different. I've begun to explain that to my kids. Punch on some rap music, you punch on some, I don't know, heavy metal music, you punch on stuff that's got a little bit of like the, you know, vehemence of, of whatever in it, and it's like you're filled with anger. Throw some worship on, you're filled with, at least you have an opportunity to be filled with the Spirit. I'm helping my kids understand that, but I'm not saying, no, we can't listen to this but I'm taking them on the journey about why do I listen to what I listen to, and I'm inviting them into the process. So there's external signs, there's miracles. My second point, <clears throat> and this is significant, but the second point is, and, and this is a something I see throughout the book of Acts. Will you put my second point up, Grant? Everyone that came to Christ in the book of Acts repents. That's not a positive word in our culture right now. But everyone comes to the point where they go, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not what I need to be. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? Everybody comes to a point where they believe in the Lord Jesus. Everyone comes to the point where they're baptized in water. And everyone comes to the point where they're filled with the Spirit. And that happens in different ways, in different forms. But when you study that whole book of Acts, you see it again and again and again. It's a like, it just keeps happening. Some of you might be here today, you go, Michael, I haven't, been, I haven't been water baptized. Be at peace. That's not your admission ticket into heaven. Okay? If you, if you go today, it's okay. Like, serious. But this is a, it is important. And we'll provide an opportunity sometime this fall for you to get water baptized if you've never been. Some of you might be sitting here today and go, you know what? I've never actually prayed and said, Lord Jesus, would you fill me with the Spirit? You can do that today, too. It's a good thing. You find somebody who's filled and you ask them, will you pray with me? And you receive it by faith. What if nothing happens? Nothing happens. Remember what I said about the ordinary? Some days you get up and you read the Bible and it's like, Lord, are you even here? But we have to walk by faith. And you give the Holy Spirit time and consistency in your life and you give yourself to him over the months, over the years, and what you find is the Holy Spirit working powerfully in your heart and in your life. I don't want to park here long, but I at least want to say there will be times where we here at Salt Block say, if you've never received Christ or if you've never given your life to Christ, raise your hand and we'll do a prayer. There will be times we do that. But I am very cautious of that 
because America as a whole has made coming to Jesus or accepting Jesus a little bit like buying life insurance. I have a life insurance policy, and I went, and I bought it, and I paid for it. Do you think I think about it? I haven't thought about that life insurance policy in years. I just left it. We've got to be careful that coming to Jesus isn't like buying a life insurance policy that we do once and then leave. Is there a place for a public setting giving your heart to Jesus? Yes. Yes, there is. But it's the first step in a thousand-mile journey of taking on the character and likeness of Christ Jesus. The third thing I want to point out, and here we're going to get back to Moses and Mount Sinai that we talked about a few minutes ago, but is that the law brings death and the Spirit brings life. Skip down with me uh, through our passage. Peter preaches this amazing sermon. He quotes the prophet Joel in verse 17 through 21. Then he recounts what Jesus of Nazareth did in, in 22 through 25. Then he quotes Psalms. So do you remember when we talked about the Emmaus Road? And remember we talked about the end of, of Luke where Jesus was showing up and giving them Bible studies after the resurrection? He was walking them through the word. Peter's now doing that in his preaching. He's walking them through the Old Testament. Then he goes on down in verse 34 and 35. He quotes the Psalms again. And then look down with me at verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. That's a water baptism. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, in Exodus 22, Moses is coming down from the mountain and he's carrying these two big stone tablets that the finger of God has written the Ten Commandments on. And at the base of the mountain, there's this wild party that's going on. And the people of God at the base of the mountain, go back and read it if you want, but they went to Aaron, the priest, and they said, hey, make us an image. Now, the first of the Ten Commandments, y'all are going to have to hang with me a minute, but this is so good. The first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. The second is, you shall not make for yourself a graven image, an idol. The people go to Aaron at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses is coming down with the Ten Commandments, and they said, make for us a graven image. I don't think they were saying, make for us a new god. I think they were saying, we want to be like the rest of the nations, and we want to have um, a, an image that represents our god. But they still made a graven image. And what then er erupted is a bunch of drunkenness and carousing and like a big orgy at the bottom of the mountain. Some of you are going, oh, don't use that word in church. All I got to do is turn on Netflix, Game of Thrones, Orange is the New Black. You fill in the blank. Michael, that's too colorful for young people. Let me tell you, if your young people has a phone, what they're able to access and see, we need to wake up, church. I actually need to use some words like this, and you need to go home and have some conversations with your teenager or young person because it's happening. And if you don't tell them, somebody else out there will. So Moses is on his way down, and at the base of this mountain, they've created this golden calf. And the reason they did a cow is because back in Egypt, they worshipped cows, gold cows. Isn't that weird? But the people wanted this image of their God, so he made them a gold cow. And then there's this drunkenness, and then there's this, which is why I brought up wine today, and then there's this big, gnarly party. And Moses is coming down that mountain that day, and it actually says his face shone with the glory of God. And he got to the base, and he was full of anger. And he took those two stone tablets, and he threw them down, and he broke them. And then it says 3,000 people were killed that day. Go back. Acts 
excuse me, Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. Listen to me. The law brings death, but the Spirit of God brings life. If you don't pass through the law and die, you cannot have the life of Christ. What am I saying by that? You must come to the full realization that you and yourself do not measure up and you must die. That old self. I've been crucified with Christ. That's what it means. I came to the point that I recognize. That's Galatians 2.20. I've come to the point that I recognize that I don't and Lord you do and I ask your forgiveness and I lay it down. You've got to die in order to live. That day when the Ten Commandments were released, it was symbolic and a picture that the law brings Death. Say it with me, church. A picture that the law brings. When the Holy Spirit is released at Pentecost, the Spirit of Jesus is released. He brings life. But if you don't pass through the death, the 3,000 that died, you can't receive the life, the 3,000 that lived. You must die to live. It's kind of like, what? Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, that's Jesus. Jesus preached the gospel seven times, and every time he said, take up your cross and follow me. Say that again with me. Take up your cross. Now, you've got to put yourself in context because you're, you're, you're sitting in an environment where Jesus is preaching to people where the crucifixion hadn't happened yet. They hadn't seen him die. So when he says, take up your cross, it's a little bit like saying, y'all go get in an electric chair. Y'all go get some lethal injection and follow me. That's like our cultural equivalent. Like for them, the cross was this gruesome, ugly thing where people went to die. And Jesus preaches the gospel seven times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's the way he says it. Take up your cross. He's saying, come and die. Come and die so that you can follow me. If you don't pass through that 3,000 that died that day in Exodus 22, you cannot embrace the full infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life now, today, and live. You might be sitting there today and you might be going, Michael, I'm pretty good. I obey those Ten Commandments. I'd remind you of something. Jesus sat in this amazing stone amphitheater of the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. He probably sat when he taught it. And he actually said, you may have heard it said. Or he said, you have heard it said not to commit adultery. But then he took it and he upped the ante through the roof. He said, I say, don't even look lustfully. For to look is the same as committing adultery. He took the Old Testament law. And people a lot of times go, well, the Old Testament law is abolished. It's gone. He fulfilled it. But go out and try committing adultery a few times and see how it goes for you. Go out and live coveting your neighbor's things a few times and see how it goes for you. See, Jesus called us to lay it down so that we could receive his grace. Can we do it? No. But he already did it. Some of you are going, Michael, this is hard. You're almost preaching works. No, I'm not. I'm preaching death. I'm preaching you got to come and lay it down and die. That's what that surrender is. That's our mission statement, to lead people to become fully surrendered disciples of Christ. That people could come and lay it down so that they can pick up and be filled with the Holy Spirit and live out of that place Live in the fullness of what he has for you.
My fourth point is when the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is present, people are cut to the heart. That's in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And I want to say something to you today, church. Everything we do in terms of environment, and one day our room might look better. Coffee, parking, signs, all that stuff is really important. And we're going to work really hard to make you comfortable as you come in the door. And then the person who stands up here and preaches the gospel, their job is to make you uncomfortable. Their job is to make you question. Their job is to actually help you into a posture where you're going to surrender your heart to King Jesus, where you want to be filled with the Spirit and not with yourself. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be full of Ed Sheeran or Coldplay. I like some of their music, but I want to be filled with King Jesus. I don't want to get up in the morning and be on my way out and be full of Instagram or full of Facebook. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do everything we can as Saltbox moves forward to create an environment where people are comfortable as they come in the door. And we preach a gospel that is so true to the book. I have word preacher friends that go, Michael, you're too charismatic. Maybe. I got a bunch of charismatic and Pentecostal friends that you go, wow, man, you are way too word. Maybe. I'm not trying to balance those two. God has called us here at Saltbox to be fully word and fully spirit. Boom. My question as we close for you today is have you fully come and died? When I say surrender, that's what I mean. Have you laid it down? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to fill you, not only once, but today? Will you stand with me? Let's worship together. Let the Holy Spirit interact with your hearts and minds.